a great couple of interviews for you. One dealing with our gear segment. The other one, a fantastic conversation on the goaltending side with our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. It is In Goal Radio, the podcast brought to you by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, thehockeyshop.com, on the move, getting set up, ready to go, ready to rock, along with the co-founders of In Goal. It is Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Uh, how, how are things go over, going over at uh, The Hockey Shop, Woody? Uh, busy. Yeah. Busy busy today is the grand opening actually as we record this by the time everyone hears this the new hockey shop in langley so no longer hockey shop in surrey hockey shop in langley uh not far from the major junior team the vancouver giants home where yeah little maddie hutch will, uh is a top prospect there uh just down the road from there I- i've seen snippets the plan was to go in there and do like a video for this week's gear segment of the new shop, we decided to roll up our last segment for from the old shop instead, the sport mask that you'll have coming up here later on in the show. But we will be there soon to sort of share the inside details of what this looks like. They were just too busy to have me rolling in. You know, you know how we roll, Darren? Like camera mm-hmm. crew, 20 deep. It's like being on ESPN. Um, they were way too busy getting ready to open because their focus, as always at the hockey shop, is on you, the customers. Cam may like his appearances here on the Ingo Radio podcast and on all our social media with the video, um, but his focus is on making sure the customers were taken care of. And they literally, like no exaggeration, they had staff that were working day and night to get the new store ready for the grand opening today. I it's not even the grand open. It's a soft opening. There'll be a big party when when they get a little more settled. Just exciting times. I'm rambling because I'm so excited. Uh, I can't wait to see it myself and next week we will share it with you along with along with some Black Friday sales that they've got coming up as well. So all kinds of exciting things. Like I said, we're rolling out the sport mask uh, uh overview today, but all kinds of excitement at the hockey shop this week with a new store, new location, new sale items all coming up in the next week. So exciting times over at the Hockey Shop. If you are one of our listeners, and I know you're out there because you, you track me down sometimes, uh, who's from the Lower Mainland, hell, the Hockey Shop's so popular. If you're from Seattle, Calgary, we have people drive from quite a distance to be there. Go check out the new store. Uh, nothing but exciting times over at the Hockey Shop. And of course, for those that can't make it, thehockeyshop.com kept running smoothly throughout. If you need gear and you can't make it there in person, you can always get it at thehockeyshop.com. What a perfect storm. We got Black Friday colliding with the new store opening. Uh, That is awesome. Uh, Outstanding, uh, exciting stuff happening over at the Hockey Shop as well as thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Langley. Hey, uh, are you going to be able to keep track of this today or does it kind of throw you off, uh, David? Because we got Hutch hosting the podcast with Hutch as a guest and it's different spelling, but it sounds the same. It does not sound the well, same. If you say it fast, it does. No way. It doesn't. Not even close. That's a, <laughs> I'm super excited a, that he's here see? though. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Was yeah. I talking about it's you funny, my, or was I talking about Michael? Yeah. Hudson? My, my, my kid played a game and my father texted me in the middle of the game to informed me that the broadcaster was pronouncing his last name incorrectly. Uh, poor, poor junior hockey. If it happened in the NHL, you couldn't get close to the guy doing the play-by-play, but in between periods, I had to go over and tell him how to pronounce his name. 
<laughs> anyway, it's uh, I'm super excited he's here. The only only regret for me is that I didn't get to do the interview myself because I I would love to to meet Hutch someday. Uh, great to see him on here, and really, um, no surprise is it that one of the most informative, interesting, in depth guests we've ever had is a Hutch. Honestly, <laughs> okay, I love it. Hutchinson, Hutchison, the play, yes, like this guy. This is. And people will be like, really? Like, we've had, what do we have? We've had Luongo just goes into the Hall of Fame this week. By the way, congratulations, Roberto. And cool set that CCM set him up with commemorating his career. Check that out on social media. Um, we've had Marty Berdur for an hour. Like, some of the greatest goalies in the history of the game have been guests on this podcast. And, and we're I'm all great. You, yeah, and they were awesome. Like, awesome. I'm telling you right now, this is a top 10 for me. That's how good Michael Hutch- Hutchinson was. Ooh. Just call him Hutch. That's how good. Just call I, him hey, Hutch. Listen, like, I don't care what you call him. Call him a great guest. Uh, informative, insightful. When I when he gave you know when he talked about broad things and I asked for examples, he gave so much detail in the examples. Um, how his game has evolved, stance mechanics, biomechanics. Uh, you name it, technique, influences, all the goalie coaches, all the goalies he's played with. You talk about some of those big names in the game. Uh, Hutch has played with you know, a lot of them and shares some of those experiences. You know, I met him before. We've talked gear before. We've talked in the room before. Kind of quiet. I, I what, didn't know what to expect because we, we had never really sat down like this. But legitimately, this is one of our top 10 interviews. This is a can't-miss interview if you're a goaltender. Um, it was it was awesome. He was awesome. We sat down uh, at their hotel room when they were in town to play the Abbotsford Canucks and just basically ripped on goaltending for an hour. It was it was awesome. I can't wait to share this. Details. That's what stands out. He takes you inside everything. Oh, absolutely. Like and like I don't want to give any of it away. Like there's there's just so much good stuff in there. I'm looking at the stats and I'm seeing uh, an unusual trend, uh, unexpected names at the top. And the standard uh, elite names are right in the middle. Uh, there's been an explosion uh, out of the gate for uh, Allmark in wins with 12 and save percentage at 937. Uh, goals against average at 1.89 as we record this. He's dominating. You got Logan Thompson tied for shutouts with Billy Huso. I'm not sure how many people expected that uh, with a new guy and a guy changing teams. Vanacek and Allmark, fewest losses. Is there a changing of the guard happening or is this just early season stuff? I don't know if it's early season because we're getting close to Horrible. that magic, you know, that magic standard of U.S. Thanksgiving where it's no longer small sample size and we're starting to see what what teams really have. I, I just think it's incredibly exciting. If we if we had sat down, we I think we dodged having that Vesna prediction episode, didn't we? We didn't actually go around the horn. We sort of talked about it a little bit. Oh, wait, no, there was the one where Woody gave us 43 answers yeah. to And I mailed mine in. On, uh, I said Allmark. Covered all my bases, yeah. boys. Yeah, but you so, sort of let us dodge it because you said, who's your pick? Who's non-Russian, yes. I think, or something like yep. that. So anyway, had we done it at that time, even the great Kevin Woodley probably wouldn't have nailed who the top 20 goaltenders are in any of these stats. And I think that is awesome because whether it's a changing of the guard or just getting to see some 
new guys have some great experiences. It makes every game out there fun to watch. Um, you know, who would have predicted uh, some of the names that we're seeing up there? Well, okay. So hold on. Rewind. What are we talking about here? I'd like you to know that in my hockey pool, I drafted Linus Elmark. So I'll take that one. We talked about Connor Hellebuck. Oh, that's that's impressive. That's and impressive. Ilya Sorokin, who Darren's little no Russians caveat was my was my guy on on multiple radio interviews that like gonna pass. I think you had I, that one too. I picked him. I had him last year as my guy, and what have I always said? It's the year after that they have success. <laughs> You're just ahead of your time. I'm ahead yeah, of my time. No, there's but there's been some great stories. Uh, there's been some guys that but, have scuffled that you wouldn't have expected. Uh, Thatcher Demko had a great start last night, sort of bumped his numbers up after, you know, I think he had one win in his first 11 starts. You know that's going to turn around. I look at 20 games for goalies. I know we can sort of start to normalize some of the team statistics at this point. We're, we're still a ways away from anybody having 20 starts. And, you know, that's sort of where I think you you see things level out. Here's a, here's a name for you. Um, you know, when I look at the adjusted numbers on ClearSight, uh, a lot of those guys you talked about, Darren, are at the top of the list, but there's a couple that, you know, I, I don't know that their performance um, is getting noticed as much uh, because of the raw numbers, but they've been really good. How about Alexander Georgiev in the top 10 in adjusted numbers? How about Jake Allen, top 10 in adjusted save percentage right now? So Jake's been um, really good. Yeah, he's been really I test, good. I test wise, uh, watching him. Statistically, too. And here's another one. Here, here's one where started hot. We talked about it. And based on the raw numbers, he's out right now injured. Based on the raw numbers, you'd be like, oh, he cooled off. Eric Comrie's expected Comrie. save percentage is 859, the lowest in the National Hockey League. He is still, despite some of the raw numbers falling off because that defensive environment, and they've got injuries on the back end, some significant ones that have made it hard. Um, but because the environment's so hard, the raw numbers don't look great. Eric Comrie's still top 15 in the league in adjusted save percentage. So, um, so clar clarify for everybody who isn't familiar with that expected save percentage, because people might misunderstand what you're well, saying. Basically, there. what it does is it factors in the quality of the shots and so creates an expected model based on the quality of the shots face. So the lower your expected save percentage, the tougher the defensive environment you're playing behind. So if everything is a backdoor tap in and a cross ice pass and, you know, I believe actually they're the only analytics company that factors plays across the middle of the ice slot line. So lateral plays that cross the middle of the ice below the top of the circles and obviously have created formulas and have a lot of samples uh, to base that on, on, on how much, and we all know this intuitively as goalies. If a guy comes down the wing and attacks us in a straight line and let's go from the top of the circles, chances are we're stopping. Okay, maybe not me, but everyone else. Um, that same guy comes down the wing to the top of the circles and passes it to the cross ice to the other side of the ice below the hash marks for a one touch or one T or a redirection or a backdoor tap in the chances of that goal going in increases significantly. Basically the expected measures, all of these things weighs them um, and creates sort of a, tries to level the playing field. And then we get uh, an adjusted save percentage, which helps you compare, you know, Apples to apples more because frankly, the raw numbers aren't apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. So it just sort of normalizes everything. And that's where, you know, I think a guy like Comrie, who I haven't even looked to see what is his actual, you know, NHL.com listed save percentages. I know it had dipped below 900 and people like, oh, you know, like he's he's slowed down. I'm like, no, man, like that the environment's just like? become brutal. <laughs> but what you're what you're saying is most people look and they're they're like, if you're not over 900, you're not playing well or probably 910, 915 these days. 
So you're saying that Eric Comrie at 859, if if he pitched an 859 save percentage, he's doing well. If he, if or he, at least he's if average, If he pitched right? an 859 behind that team this year, he would be average. Um, but yeah. his numbers are actually better than that, like I said, because he's actually well, course, yeah. he's well above expected. And that's just... Just one of the examples is a whole bunch around the league on, on both sides of the equation. You play behind a great defensive team, um, you know, you you benefit from that. So you'll end up with these great raw numbers, but the adjusted numbers will maybe be a little less flattering to you because, again, the quality of the defensive play in front of you is kind of baked into these statistics, just like guys get credit for playing behind a bad defensive team. Um, you know, guys are not hurt, but they're, you know, they come back down to earth a little bit when they're playing behind a great defensive team. It can work the other way too, where numbers can appear to be good, but you're not playing as well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. If you're playing behind a great defensive team, we've seen that, you know, again, it's not that they were playing poorly, but some of the hype around guys playing behind great defensive teams, they post these great numbers and everybody loses their mind and hands them, I don't know, $5 million a year in free agency and then all of a sudden they go play behind a poor defensive team and the numbers come down and people are like what the hell well uh yeah um not the same team not the same environment actually the numbers look kind of similar uh you're you're just you just didn't count for the fact that he's no longer as insulated as he was behind team a that he posted those you know contract earning numbers behind who's got who's got the best defensive environment like what would be an expected save percentage for one of the top defensive teams. And that's not to throw somebody under the bus as underperforming or anything, but just as a nice comparison. Well, to that I think Vegas has, has one of the great goaltending environments. I don't know whether which, it's the top, but it's, which it's wasn't the, the case before Darren, like for the last couple of years, it's been a tougher defensive environment. Um, obviously a coaching change there under Bruce Cassidy, who, who established the same thing in Boston. It is better. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Florida has been a team that has always created a really good defensive environment. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky right now has the second highest expected save percentage in the league at 907. An average save percentage expected is 890 right now in the NHL. Um, now, don't forget, this is one of the factors here with ClearSight. They end up counting less shots because they model everything and what's actually going to hit the net using, you know, computers and technology and, and actually lining up from the sh- the release to the posts and where's the puck going. Um, they figure the NHL overcounts somewhat significantly on shots, which I'm sure goaltenders don't want to hear. Uh, but, you know, Florida has been a really good defensive team traditionally. Boston has been a really good defensive team traditionally and Allmark. Um, and that's the thing. Like, so Linus Elmark has the fifth highest expected save percentage in the NHL right now, but he's also outplaying it by a significant margin. So like, that's the best of both worlds, right? You're playing behind a good defensive team and you're outplaying it. And that's where you get numbers that have you in the Vezina Trophy conversation. If you have a really low expected save percentage, yeah, you can steal games and you can stand on your head and you can, you know, everyone can see how good you are. I would, I would point to Thatcher Demko last year but you're probably not getting Vesna votes with like a raw 915 save percentage, even if your adjusted numbers were among the best in the league. Uh, Logan Thompson's 902, Darren, so that's top 10 in, a, in sort of expected uh, expected numbers. Ilya Samsonov, like Toronto in the last three years. I don't know if the narrative still exists that they're a running gun team that doesn't protect their goaltenders, but it's not true. They've been a good defensive team for three years now. So um, you sort of see some of these. Washington's been a good defensive team for a number of years now. Uh, Winnipeg's back on that on that track right now as well. But Hellebuck, again, another guy who's outplaying that environment by a significant, significant margin. 
Um, I'm looking now, Darren. You're right. Vegas, Aiden Hill, and Logan Thompson are both in the top 10 and expected save percentage. So good environment. Guess what? They're also both out playing it. So that's, again, the best of both worlds if you're a goaltender. You mentioned shot totals. Uh, please do not go down that path anymore because one of my big pet peeves uh, as a broadcaster who does the intermissions of shows, uh, games, uh, when they change during the course of the intermission, it drives me crazy. Like I'll, I'll go to the, I'll go to break, uh, start of the intermission shots are 12, 10 and throwing it back at the end of the intermission, the shots are 11, eight. Well, it's easy to fix. You just have to say the shots are roughly 12 to eight. I, I don't know how they change during the course of an intermission. Hey, listen, I had, I had one of those last night filed my game story. That's Nemco made 36 saves. Go down to the locker room, come back up. Oh, Thatcher Demko's made 37 saves. They, the LA Kings didn't have the puck in the Vancouver Canucks end for the last three minutes of the game. So it's not like it was a late stop that just got added. Somehow they went back and tracked it and found him another save. Like it, ha- it happens all the time to us too, Darren. So I-, I feel your pain, my friend. It's like, oh, you got the save total wrong in your story the next morning. I'm like, well, like, when did it change? Why yeah, did somebody's, it- To be fair, somebody's trying to get it right. That's yeah, no, somebody's out to get us. Yeah, Are they're they? just okay. trying to screw us. Actually, the, well, goalie, whoever, the goalie coach is probably in their ear going, you missed this one. Whoever's reviewing those, listening to the show right now, remember I'm the nice one. Hutch is the good guy. Yeah, you just want wait, your wait. shot totals for your kid when he makes the NHL counted nicely. That's funny. No, because I, I know exactly what you're saying, though, because I've watched games and you see a, a goaltender make a really nice glove save about a foot above their shoulder. And of course, that counts as a shot on goal, but it wasn't going to hit the net, was it? It happens all the time. Yeah. And I, and listen, like part of me is like, yeah, you got to give them credit for that one. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so Steve Valcat, don't listen to as I say that I know the NHL overcounts them, but we, and the goalie union is a little, you know, we don't want to know that, that maybe they overcount. Can you get on your soapbox and do your impression of how people sound uh, <laughs> I, again, but do it in the frame of, of being uh, upset with shot changes? Oh, really? The shot totals are there? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we got our gear segment brought to you by the Hockey Shop, uh, source for sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. We are going with Sport Mask today. We are, and uh, a product I haven't worn in years. So I'm going to just defer to Cam to let him fill us in. Uh, they've had some ownership changes. Uh, there's a part of a discussion here. Make sure you watch the video, because I think in the video, Hutch does me a favor here and shows people that I actually am correct. There is a Tony that that worked with Otney. I did do that. Yeah. I did do that. So Cam, uh, again, I'm going to get ripped here on the on the uh, audio-only version. Cam correcting me, thinking that I'm totally out to lunch, ba- you know, based on who works for what company, and I, I knew there was a Tony involved. Hutch found it on the video. So for everyone who listened to this and like, uh, Woody got something wrong again, and hey, listen, I get tons wrong. This one wasn't one of them. Make sure you watch the video so we can correct Cam on that one. But enjoy as we find out a little more about the, I think we go over three different lines, including one with a cat eye cage in Canada. That's right. Listen to the gear segment. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia. A little reminder to Cam, who's boss, little franchise goalie. Thanks to the... Uh, Up KVG, how you doing? BHLPA for this beautiful sweatshirt. <laughs> Got a matching... Hutch has a matching mug, so he's actually the true boss. Cam, that makes you the employee. So your job today... <laughs> the employee. 
is to fill us in. Sport mask. Sport mask. Sport mask. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. We got three different options. Dive right into it. Top end, entry, middle. Let's start with yours. All right. So I'm holding the X8 helmet in my hand right now. Um, it's basically, you know, kind of your entry level fiberglass price point. Um, guys that are looking for a not a plastic mask, something that is a full fiberglass, which this is high tensile uh, fiberglass. Um, Sorry, say that again. High tensile fiberglass. Uh, we got a couple different fits: extra small, small, medium, large. XL is available, but in most times has to be ordered specialty in. It is not CSA approved. Just a heads up, so it wouldn't be something that I'd be recommending. Sorry, for the my X, just the XL. Just not, the XL. The rest right? is. The rest is, but not HEC approved. So Canada only if you're looking for a certified mask. Yes. Um, Give me an idea. Let's just go right into talk about different fits. Give me an idea of level we're looking at. Like, who's this mask for? Beer league? Yeah, I would say you know your middle to lower tiers of beer league. You know, house hockey things like that. You're starting to tear up and get you know say you are making that full rep team and things like that. Sport mask is still your gig. That's why we look over into the T3 model. So this kind of covers that mid to, you know, that upper high I feel like that end. should be like a, yeah. like a sequel to the Terminator movies. Like this is T3. I Sorry, I interrupted. You continue. I'll see you again. Um, with the T3, basic upgrade. So we're still starting with that fiberglass base, but now we're getting carbon fiber integrated into the mask itself as well. So we're getting a more rigid mask. Again, that mid to... Throughout certain points. All, all the way through. Throughout. Okay, yes. sorry. I'm thinking more like a Kevlar layer. No, 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 no. So not, not in that fashion. Um, again, that mid to kind of, uh, you know, not upper high level, but like beginning of high level hockey, I think that would be like perfect way to kind of describe it. Beer leaguer, if you're maybe playing with some guys who can shoot a little bit more, so... <laughs> yeah, okay. Or you, the guys in your team happen to hit you in the head and warm up a fair bit. You used to have a sport mask. It helped with that. Yeah, same story for fits as well. Um, so small, medium, large, XL, again, available, uh, but not CSA approved. Um, in terms of for comfortability and fit-wise, these are a little bit wider set in the cheeks. So if you do struggle with some of the basic fits on the wall, say your Bowers or your CCMs and things like that, Sport Mask is a good alternate fit option for you. You, you can kind of see that it's like, a, like, again, you can see it's sort of a more rounded look to it. And so not surprised to hear that there's a little more room in the cheeks. So one of the got other those things, chipmunks. Yeah, exactly. One fit. of the other things I really noticed with it too is that it really puts your face, and this goes for all of the Sport Masks, uh, a little bit closer up against the cage. So in, in terms of for your peripheral vision as well. So closer you are to that cage. Again, more openness in terms of for your eyes to see. You're not getting cut off by the corner of that mask. Um, so yeah, very good and improved peripheral vision. Shorter chin on these two as well. So again, Make somebody- easier to sort of track through things. Exactly, somebody that's struggled with or say they have higher shoulder floaters on their chest, it's another good alternate option to help you improve that mobility as you're looking all around. Okay, so now the one latest, more the one more. And, and we should mention, this is Sport Mac now Working with Otney, Tony Otney, who's long known for the cage side of thing. Is this like... So Tony Perolo used to be Sport Mask, but now, now it's OTNY Wire that now owns I, Sport Mask. I was just said Otney. I didn't realize it was... Tony Otney, no, no, not, not, not a person. Tony Prolo being Sport Mask. There is a guy behind Otney. His name is Tony. He might be. I'm pretty sure. We'll have to, we'll have we'll to look check. That out. Well, we might have to cut that. Part. Maybe Kevin's just yeah. taking too many shots off the mask and Probably. he's remembering incorrectly. That's more likely. Walk me through the top model while we distract from my stupidity. All right. So back to sport mask. 
Pro-X, um, again, fiberglass base, but now we're having their Enegra carbon fiber, not their Enegra, but the Enegra carbon fiber um, integrated into the mask itself. Longer, thicker chin as well. You can see how it actually flares out. Quite a thick chin um, will be noticed. So you can really see like in terms of the overall mask itself, that improvement. Maybe you were four. making a comment about me. No, no. <laughs> that improvement Extra in terms chance. of four, like that high level of protection that you're looking for. You so yes, of, you can kind of see the the finish on the inside too, in terms of just being a little nicer on. Correct. The... You can actually even see like a little bit of that in Agra. So you go back to some of those older, I even say like bower sticks and things like that. You can see that same see pattern. The actual texture of the exactly, weave. exactly. So this mask itself, uncertified product, however, is designed for hockey at its like highest level. Obviously, we can see that with that cat eye cage as well. Something that is available to bar uh, get from us. Yes, they've always kind of stuck with that thick uh, flat bar cat eye, uh, uh, Jonathan Quick-esque yes. um, flat bar. So in terms of for overall fit, feel-wise, um, again, another alternate option on the wall. Um, something we can order in for you. Um, it just gives you that like pro-level fit of hockey at its highest level. We talked about this with Coveted. Little rubber in the grommets between the cage and the mask, a little extra impact absorption. Foams are all sort of just traditional VN, VN liners. Foam. Yep. Uh, a little bit of a softer feel to the foams, though. Yeah, also a little bit of a suppleness to it, and that's for sure. All right. Sport mask. If you got any questions, like Cam said, there's lots of different fits. He can help you get the right fit because fit, like, let's be honest, that's what matters the most when it comes to mask. I think that's what we hear right up to the NHL. It's all about finding one that fits. Multiple sizes here. As Cam said, for a wider face as well, that's the beauty with it. Sport Mask, Coveted, Bauer, CCM, Warrior. They've got it all in stock on the wall in all the sizes. So they're going to be able to help you get the right fit. And Cam has the expertise. Get a little tape measure out, measure your head at home. If you've got questions, you want to figure it out for an online order at thehockeyshop.com. This guy can help you out. Where can they get you? 604-589-8299. He's the expert. Sport mask has uh, changed its mold a, a couple of times over the years. Remember, they used to have that cage that would bend along the side and come down. Like uh, it was wider at the top, and then would come in. Made it tougher to replace cages because uh, you really had to go right to the manufacturer, and if they weren't open or whatever, uh, it, it was difficult to transition and, and get a replacement. Uh, but uh, a little bit more stockish on that. Uh, I don't know whether. You, I'm, that's legal that you want to be able to putting be putting somebody else's cage on a different mask, but it uh, it is a, a little easier to swap it out. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because remember in the video there or in the audio as people are listening here, the XLs are not approved, hmm. but the larges are, and that's because in the testing process they're expected to send every single size for testing. Any variation at all that has to be tested as well. So. I'm sure if you change the cage, it wouldn't be certified anymore because it wasn't tested with that exact cage, um, which makes it really hard for the smaller manufacturers to compete because imagine the cost right. of producing every size in each line and sending that in for testing. In this case, what would that be? Like at least a dozen masks, four different sizes, the three models we just looked at. Uh, I guess maybe even if there's different cages, but I'm not sure about that part. So yeah, it definitely changes the landscape for the small manufacturer who wants to get into the mask game. Like how Hutch supports me on these things. Not like you, Woody. I'm just Mr. Supportive today. Like yes, I, you I wanna, are. Yeah. The voice of reason. I'm full of positive energy too today. I just missed that one. 
<laughs> oh, if, if, I, only, I, listen, if only we could broadcast a highlight package of Woody when we're not recording. Just with a stunned look on his face and a gap. Oh, spit and like, chicklets would be nothing if we broadcast everything Woody said offline here. Oh, yeah. We should the, do yeah, a the, video. The skeletons come out of the closet when we're talking <laughs> offline, don't they? Hey, like, I, yeah, I got to be careful with this one. Hutch, how hard would it be to do a video edition of a podcast every once in a while? Oh man, hair and makeup and wardrobe. If you guys if you guys dress do? up, it's a violation. Nobody's allowed to change. So if it's it, we could if totally it's a do it. Saturday could, morning at eight AM, we gotta come like we would on a Saturday morning at eight AM. Yeah, except except, you know, instead of getting two dollars each a week, I'm gonna have to go up to three dollars, I think, if we're mm -hmm. gonna produce a video edition. But otherwise it'd be pretty easy. If I gotta put my tooth in, I'm charging more. No, you can't <laughs> put your tooth in. So you're down to nothing, Darren, because you had to give him tooth money. You got to give me editing money. And then the actual expert who really lives on camera has got nothing left for him. But I win. It's good I win he likes I, us. Yeah. I get to hang out with you guys. I, it's, it's still a win for me. Well, we, we could talk about maybe doing a video edition one day. Just every now and like maybe once every four months. Just uh, be able to connect with the Test it out and see what happens. Viewers. Yeah. Well, I think it, every, we could do it. Every, what if we filmed it by the pool at Darren's house in Vegas? Sure. If you guys yeah. get your butts down Road here, trip. we've been talking Road about trip. that for like since before I moved here. Little yeah, you keep little saying Kevin can, that's because you keep saying Kevin can sleep on your couch and I can go pound sand. So <laughs> there's lots of sand in the desert, Hutch. You'll have no <laughs> problems finding it. Right on. We we call Kalichi. It's the hard rock. You can go pound that because that's the hardest thing in the world. As soon as they hit that when they're digging pools, you're done. Your cost just goes up. So if you can figure out how to pound caliche and get it to break up, uh, there, there's a real at, job for you down look there. Look at this, this guy. Is sound this is starting to sound inappropriate. <laughs> Listen to no, this guy. No, a couple years in the real. desert, and he's figured out the local like uh, rock formations. This is impressive. <laughs> if it costs me cash, I, I look into it. <laughs> that that That's a must. That's a... Um, a very annoying dad. Uh, we've got our feature interview. Uh, we've been waiting to get this. It's so awesome. Uh, Michael Hutchinson coming in, and it is one of the most descriptive conversations we've ever uh, offered up on In Gold Radio, the podcast. Brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR, Hutch. Absolutely. And uh, you've heard it here many times before that if you want to improve your goaltending, there's no better tool off the ice than Sensorina. Simply put, you face more shots in virtual reality, and you'll stop more pucks on the ice. And uh, we're very thankful Sensorina has been a partner of the Ingoal Radio podcast for uh, years now. And we encourage you to give it a look. Go over to Sensorina.com, check out some of the videos they've got available. Think about the opportunity for you to play every single day in virtual reality. It's hard to get ice, as we've heard before from many of our guests. It's hard to get the practice time that a basketball player can get out in the driveway. But now with Sensorina, you do have that opportunity to face elite shooters or shooters at your own level, except for maybe not Kevin Woodley's level. But you can face some great shooters and learn to read releases, learn to follow plays. You've got the opportunity, as we heard recently, to just watch pucks go by. You don't have to worry about stopping them even if you want to learn how to track better. And just focus on what's happening. As uh, Eric Comrie's told us before, I think Abby Ives told us last week, you can do things that you can't do in practice 
and get more opportunities to learn how to stop the puck better, to read the release. We talk about it here all the time. Even this week's interview, Kevin asked Hutch about learning to read releases. Is there a way? And one way is with Sensorina. So really encourage people, head over to Sensorina.com, check it out. If you do decide that you're going to join the hundreds, probably thousands of people who joined on as a result of InGoal, use the code IGM50. That's like InGoal Mag 50. You get a little bit more off, uh, whatever great discount might be available today. Sensorina, give it a go. Hutch, you uh, were amazed by Hutch and his detail. Woody, yeah. when did you realize during this conversation that you were going down a path that was just eye-opening? Ooh, that's a good question, actually. Um, probably the first time I asked him for examples. Actually, it might exactly have, it, it, it have even been before then. Like, I, like I knew this was going to be special. Um, maybe when he suggested, like, because we're, we're, the hotel there, uh, the main lobby, which was where we were initially set up to go, um, didn't have a ton of, like, it was sort of like, it didn't have a ton of privacy. Um, so there would have been a lot of background noise, actually teammates and coaches coming in and out uh, that day. He, he'd taken the option uh, on a very optional uh, practice. And he's like, hey, there's like a there's like a business, like a business area up in the upper second level and it had a closed door. And maybe that's when I knew I'm like, hey, like he's invested in this. And he really was. It was just yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. He's uh, I always knew he was a really great guy. Um, I just, like I said, like he's, I think I even say it in the interview, like I just always thought him of as kind of quiet and soft spoken. And maybe I just wasn't a good listener when those quick two, three minute conversations in the locker room. Um, because man, did he give me a lot to listen to in this one? And like I said, top 10 to me, top 10. And given how far we are, like what, 193 episodes, 194 episodes into this thing, uh, with some of the names we've had to be a top 10 interview. Like I said, folks, don't miss this one. Listen to the whole thing. It's great from start to finish. And, you know, it makes me, makes me, you know, eager to catch up down the road and, and, and get more of it. Michael Hutchinson from the Barry Colts to the National Hockey League, now playing for the Henderson Silver Knights, uh, the American Hockey League affiliate of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. On In Gold Radio, the podcast, the feature interview presented by Sensorina, Sensorina BR. Really excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast. We've talked many times over the years in NHL locker rooms, but for the first time as a, as a formal guest here, a little feature interview, Michael Hutchinson, now with the Henderson Silver Knights, Vegas Golden Knights. Dude, like after all the times we've sort of chit-chatted back and forth, we finally get a chance to catch up. How are you? I'm great. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me. You know, talked for a while, so it's great to finally be on the podcast. What's the adjustment been like uh, this year, going to Vegas and 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 now Henderson and I mean, maybe a bigger question, bigger picture question. What's it like for a goaltender when you switch teams? You've done it a fair bit over the years. It's the biggest adjustment. How do you fit in on and what do you have to adjust to most on and I guess off the ice too? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, changes I think that most people don't fully understand when a goalie does change teams, especially one when you know I've been in Toronto for the last little bit on and off for the you know four years. Uh, when you do switch team, there's so much that goes into it. Uh, you know, meeting all the guys on the team and trying to become as comfortable as possible. Uh, you know, you kind of, especially if you're not as outgoing of a person, uh, you definitely have to try and put yourself out of your comfort zone to get to know your teammates and, uh, you know, get to know all the training staff, equipment staff all right away. And there's a lot, a lot of new faces, uh, in the AHL and NHL, uh, from players to staff that you're trying to learn. So, 
that can be a little bit overwhelming at times. Uh, and then trying to learn, you know, a new system because as a goalie, when you play in the same system for years, you're used to the same looks, you have the same sort of decor, like defensive system in front of you. And now all of a sudden you might be getting different looks. You might be getting, you know, not knowing exactly how guys are going to play situations. So there's a, a learning curve right there, but, uh, I find that with changing teams so much, uh, just trying to talk to the guys and, uh, get to know them a little bit more on and off the ice, what they like to do, how they like to play, uh, the more you can talk to them, uh, during practice, during games, uh, helps to kind of speed up that learning process a little bit. As you said, like, I, I think of you, I mean, as a softer spoken guy, is that like, do you have to almost go outside of your normal, like personality a little bit like you don't want to not be yourself but you gotta like you said be a little more outgoing than you might normally be to make sure that communication is open yeah for sure like i'm definitely more introverted of a person so i like to kind of just you know do my own thing and you know it takes me a while to open up so it definitely pushes me outside of my comfort zone uh you know going to a new team and having to you know meet all the new guys and do that but uh at the same time too i think that's good for you know anyone to get pushed outside their comfort zone a little bit and at the end of the day too it's an easy one to get pushed outside of your comfort zone with, because at the end of the day, everyone's goal is to just win. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in the NHL, you're trying to win the Stanley cup in the American hockey league. My goal is to win a Calder cup. So, uh, when you have guys who all have a common goal, uh, and then you have the common interest of, you know, just loving the game of hockey, it makes, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone a little bit easier. Now, 13 years as a pro, uh, like you said, you have uh, at different stages jumped around a little bit, you talked about systems. Like, is there a, is it a big adjustment system wise from team to team or is, is it more about, like you said, the, the tendencies of each guy within that system? I think it's a lot of, it's the tendencies of each guy within the system. You know, you have some guys who are really good at, you know, picking up sticks and kind of boxing out you have other guys who are just are shot blocking machines. And just when you know, guys, like to do that or on a two-on-one if there's a guy who likes to you know lay down and slide or stand up on their feet you can kind of play different situations a little bit differently and then you know team to team too there you're always going to give up something you know especially on the power play penalty kill uh you know teams always have to give something up and each team will give up something a little different so there's that uh kind of aspect of it too where I don't know. I always see a trend with goalies, especially starting goalies. When they switch teams their first year, they're kind of, you know, average compared to what they were before. And then their second year, they really like take that step forward and they're back to being their elite self. Uh, so I think there's definitely something to it between the tendencies of your players and just the system and, you know, little chances that you give up and being more comfortable there. I was going to say, like, it's funny because, you know, I mean, I dig into a lot of the analytics and have access through Stephen Valaket to some of what I think are some of the better numbers because they account for things like screens and traffic and cross ice. But the one thing no numbers will ever be able to account for other than maybe individually tracked by a team is knowing what's supposed to happen and what you're reading off as a goaltender. Like you said, you are going to give up something. It's a, is the chance you just saw the one you were supposed to give up? Or did you come out on the one you were supposed to give up and there was another one back door? Like, is that a part of that process? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, you see it. Uh, I feel like most goalies, when they get beat, uh, especially in the NHL level, it's uh, either an unbelievable shot or play that beats them or it's just you just misread it. And usually, you know, you go back and watch the video and you can be like, oh, yeah, like I thought this was happening. So that was my read. And obviously, you know, something broke down somewhere else and it ends up being a different read. And that's how a lot of goals are scored as everything happens so fast. And 
you know, like I said, it's either an amazing shot that beats you or it's just you misread the play. Because if you read the play well, then, you know, you're going to make the save more often than not. Reading the play. I mean, 13 years in now as a pro, if there's, adv- could you give any advice to young, like if, we, if you could go back and talk to young Michael Hutchinson about, you know, coming into the league, like, is it, is it just experience on reading a play? Are there things you can do to almost get better at it other than just living it? Uh, I think there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, I know when I went to Colorado, uh, the goalie coach there, UC, he was huge in helping me out and he kind of pointed something out and I played one regular season game before COVID shut it down and I ended up playing again in the playoffs there, but, uh, no pressure, he, eh? yeah. <laughs> but, uh, after the Detroit game, he noticed like one little thing in my game and it, I feel like it really changed the next few years for me and feeling more comfortable out there. And, you know, as a goalie in my position, you know, I've been a backup goalie for most of my career. And, you know, when you're playing one once every two, three weeks, when you get in the net, it's very often you get very puck focused and you just watch the puck. And my experience of how the game develops and stuff like that is how I was reading the play. I'm like, okay, well, I'm watching the puck on the half wall. And I have an idea of where the player should be based on their system that they're playing. But when the pass would come, I'd be following the pass. And then when it gets to their stick, it's just like reacting and trying to make a save and really makes the game difficult on yourself where you see, you notice that I wasn't looking off the puck at all because I was just so worried about the puck. I'm like, if the guy shoots it from the half wall, I'm like, I can't let that go. And so I'm watching the puck instead of realizing it's in a dead zone and I can take a look off and really see, you know, what hand the guy shoots at with that's in the scoring threat, where the other guys are on the ice and, you know, be able to take even multiple looks off the puck. And so he really harped on me on that. And then after that game, we really worked on it in practice where, you know, it didn't matter if, it was just a you know two on two drill in the corner, and there's no one in the slot as a scoring threat. You know, just getting in the habit of you know turning your head, looking off the puck, coming back, finding the puck again, and uh, getting comfortable looking off of it. And then I found since then, when I go periods of time without playing, just from looking off the puck in practice and practicing that skill, I'm able to read the play better. I'm able to you know have a better idea of where everyone is, and when I get into those games, the game doesn't seem as fast. It doesn't seem like, you know, I'm just trying to survive the game. I'm just, I'm able to relax and play the game and have it played at a speed that, you know, for myself feels controllable. Amazing how one, like one thing can make such a huge difference. And so for the young kids out there that are listening to this without giving too much away, cause that's the one line we never want to cross, but can you give us an example? Um, like, where do you feel those dead zones are? Like, where for you are spots where like, hey, I know I'm safe here to have a look, to make a check. And do you split up the zone? Like, are you full zone checking? Or are you just like the half? I mean, remember Jake Allen telling us like his first focus is the half of the ice where the puck is. And then maybe he has longer Then maybe he'll scan beyond that. Do you have any, again, without giving too much away, putting you in a bad spot, but like any rules that kids could maybe take into a game? Like, is it the corner? Is it the off, off the half wall? What, what are some of the spots where you feel you can gather information? Yeah, I think uh, definitely in the corner. And, you know, if you play in a rink that has a trapezoid line, anything in the corner to the trapezoid line, I feel is a good spot to really, you know, you can take multiple looks in that area because, you know, generally you have a forward or defenseman in there too. So the player can't make a really quick play. He has to 
know, try and beat the defender and then make a play. So and the puck you, can't go in from there either yeah, back there. Yeah. Typically. So you have uh, time to look there. Uh, and then up the half wall too, depending on if the player's on their forehand or backhand, I think anything that's close to the wall, there's very few players in the league on a clear shot can beat you when they're standing against the board. So as long as they're not facing you on their forehand, ready to shoot, I think that that's always a good time that, you know, you can take a little look over and like, so like with Jake, I feel like most goalies are, you scan half the ice because most teams don't have a guy hanging out on the back door because that's a low percentage pass to get through so many defenders to get there. Uh, so you can really usually find the three forwards in the one half of the ice. And then after that, if you have time, you know, check, make sure the weak side D isn't, you know, sneaking down or being too active. But uh, with uh, UC, our thing was very much, you know, take a quick check. And like, if you can, you know, you can look two, three times because the game changes and players move around and try and find the soft spot so quickly that the more you can look off the puck, then the better chance you have of being prepared for when something does happen. Because it is so dynamic now, eh? Like there's just so much movement. There's, it's not as, I mean, how much has the game changed? Uh, uh, like since like 13 years doesn't seem like a long time, but like in the last five, even mm-hmm. the way offense is scored, like how cognitive are you of, of how teams are attacking? Yeah. Yeah. It's changed so much. I know when I first came into like pro hockey, you know, thir- 12, 13 years ago is the league was very much a, uh, get it to the point, just blast it on net, have a ton of traffic, have guys crash in the net. Uh, so that was the way everyone played. Even when I was with uh, Providence and Bruins won the cup, that was their offensive game was just get to the point, blast it in and crash the net. And uh, now it's so much East West plays and the skill of guys is unbelievable. And then, so you have to be way more prepared for the East West play. And then everything's below the goal line trying to find those soft areas and pass out. So yeah, the game's just evolved so much where there's so many different variables and different ways players want to create offense. And then, you know, I feel too, like players have gotten a lot smarter over the years where they have their skills coaches who are talking to goalie coaches, going to goalie camps and kind of being spies and trying to figure out how we play situations and what we're doing uh, to try and, you know, find ways to exploit that. So uh, it's definitely changed over the, last couple of years, especially, but yeah, looking back to my first couple of years, I'm sure if I watched some game tape, I'd be like, it's totally a different game now. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me looking at some of the numbers too, the amount of stuff that funnels through sort of across the low slot line, like how much more prevalent that is, is an offensive tactic. I mean, when you would have broken in there, we, we didn't have, or it was just starting reverse was sort of a new thing. Um, it's one of those questions where like, do you feel like you constantly have to evolve with it? Like if you're not evolving as much as you probably how do you find that line i guess we'll put it that way how do you find that line between looking for new things and yet knowing what your your anchor is your Mm -hmm. sort of foundation is as a goaltender i feel like your foundation itself doesn't change too much like there's certain things that i find when i'm playing my best i'm doing you know probably three things can you can you share them or Uh, do you keep them as like a mindset type thing yeah yeah so uh steve breer with the Leafs was really big on you know just having these like kind of like three things like anchors just remind yourself during the game whether your game's going good or bad just to focus on and for myself when i'm playing well i'm holding my feet i find i move pretty well on my feet uh so if i the longer i can hold my edges and stay on my feet the more success i generally have 
and then on rebounds or any plays, sliding back towards the post so you don't get caught moving out, especially with all the east-west plays. If I can get back towards the post, I can cover the center and the net easier and then gain my depth after that. So moving back to the post is the other one. And then the last one for myself is just to breathe, just to relax because you know I'm the type of guy where like during the game, you know, you, you can get a little bit too tense and too, you know, almost it's kind of funny, like trying to stop the puck too hard instead of just letting the game come to you. So I find if I just remind myself to breathe, then I can try and get into that flow state and just let the game come to me. So those are my three big things I try and focus on. And then if I had to add a fourth one in, it would just be having fun. And that was something that, you know, on and off throughout your career, or at least my career, I've lost at times where, like I said, you just get into survival mode and you just are trying to play well and uh, you almost forget to enjoy it. And playing with Jack Campbell was one of the big things that he helped me get back to is watching him play on the ice uh, during the taxi squad uh, season. I remember we were in Winnipeg and he was playing an unbelievable game and made a save and he looked over at me in the corner and smiled and gave me a wink and stuff. I'm just like, this guy's just having a blast out here. He's having fun. So uh, it reminded me of just kind of take a step back and enjoy playing hockey. Cause that's, you know, the whole reason why we do what we do is because we love it and we enjoy it. And so if you forget to enjoy it, you can make uh games a little bit tougher to get through. Can that be a market where it can be easy to lose that? Like, I mean, I'm here in Vancouver, so there's obviously a pretty intense spotlight on the team here and knowing all the goalies. I mean, right back to Roberto Luongo's headed in the hall of fame and the amount of times that this market wanted to throw him, you know, to the side and get rid of him, it blows me away. Toronto's probably even more intense. Can like, how do you, how do you manage that? What other advice? Like you watch Jack, how he handled it and having fun. Like, can it be harder to maintain that joy for the game when the glare is that bright or did, was it just other things that led you to that spot in that time? I, I think it's just a compound of issues. You know, when you're in the NHL, even the American hockey league, there's so much pressure to win and perform. And, you know, a lot of things sometimes are even out of your control. And if you get too caught up in all of that, you know, it's very easy to forget. And like I said, hockey, as soon as you turn pro, even in junior hockey, it kind of, for people, it becomes, it's a business. It's no longer, you know, going out with your friends and playing, you know, a weekend tournament. It's, you know, this is the real thing. So sometimes being able to, you lose focus on separating the business side of things from, you know, just going out and playing and enjoying it. And, you know, the business side, you know, the media, everything kind of comes in along with that. So, uh, yeah, it's just a combination of things, uh, that can make you lose sight of, you know, just enjoying the moment and, you know, being present and having fun doing what you're doing. Is it important to remember that at times when you're not playing as much too, you talked about there's been stops where you've been in that backup spot where you're the guy that has to be out there early, out there late. You're not necessarily playing as many games. Let's be mm -hmm. honest, games are the ones that are probably easier to have fun in. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes a grind, like the expectations to be out there. You know, at times you get a chance to work on your game, but a lot of the time it's just target, right? Like, is it important to remember like that? Hey, it's still the NHL. I'm having fun out here. Even if guys are winding up from the hash marks and buzzing the tower sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it can be a grind. And that's another thing too, is just, you know, not just having fun in the games, but even, you know, finding the joy in practice and having fun during that. Uh, you know, I've been in some situations where, you know, the guys who are extras are like everyone in the NHL is so competitive and everyone wants to play and everyone wants more. Uh, so it doesn't matter. Like even 
you know, starting goalies who are playing, you know, 60, 65 games, like they, they want more, they don't want to be sitting on the bench at all. So, uh, it's very easy to, uh, have these extra skates and these, uh, before, after skating, when, you know, the main players have days off where, uh, it can become a bit of a, you can allow it be, to become a drag because you want to be one of those guys who's playing every night and gets those days off. And, you know, you really feel like you're contributing to the team, but then, you know, for myself, it's like taking a step back and just realizing like, it's fun coming out there, even, you know, on days where there's only three guys coming out and skating and you're doing drills, uh, if you can have fun with that and make the other guys have fun too, then it makes the year go by so much more enjoyable. And yeah, so it, it's always a big thing for me and something I've learned as I've gotten older in my career is just keeping things in perspective and, you know, just enjoying things and being present. Uh, because, you know, if you get caught up on things that are out of your control or try and look too far in the future, or you carry the baggage of the past too. That was another one too, where, you know, as a backup goalie, you aren't playing for two weeks the team's on a four or five game losing streak you get thrown in there and you're like feeling yeah, like you feeling be, like you yeah. have to be the savior and like win the game and you know pitch a 40 save shutout and stuff but at the end of the day you can't carry the baggage of the past games into the present game with you and uh so yeah a lot of it as you get older you learn these little mental things and how to keep things in perspective a little bit better it's funny like i always tie it to i don't know if you golf but it's, you know, like that one shot at a time mentality, can't think about the last shot. And then also like the relaxed part, like you're talking about, like trying too hard in both sports, you're sort of an individual and like, you can't usually get away with, well, maybe some guys can, but you can't swing harder in golf. You can't try harder. It's the same with goaltending, like finding that sort of Zen balance, um, you know, in terms of mindset, it sounds like, you know, 12, 13 years in, you've discovered a lot of those, those, those cues along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, kind of interesting. I ended up picking up golf later in life as well. And it's, I find it helps my game so much, you know, being able to play and even just having that thing that in the summer you're focused for, you know, three, four hours on just doing one thing. It's something that when you get back onto the ice and go to play your first games or, you know, you haven't been that, that focused for that long and it makes the game like your focus is just a little bit sharper, uh, getting back into the season. I think note to self on that. This is my excuse now for honey. I'm real like, I want this beer league season to go really well. I'm going to need to play more golf this summer because it'll help my concentration. I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm going to try. Good luck. <laughs> um, you've had so many different voices over your career. I mean, you mentioned a couple of them already. UC Parkela, who we're big fans of. Um, Steve Briere also. Uh, he would have had flats for a while in Winnipeg. Is that part of the adjustment too? Like not just a new team, new teammates and tendencies, but you know, you, you're putting your trust in a goalie coach. Everyone's going to bring different ideas and yet you still have to stick to your foundation. That's something a lot of young kids go through too. They can have multiple voices. Um, and I know, I think you're Jamie McGuire in the off season. You still work with him? Um, I live in Winnipeg now in the off season. So I, I don't see Jamie as much as I would like to but yeah he was a huge part of my development growing up for sure so how do you balance all those new new voices and and i guess in each case you were other than uc you were there for an extended period of time so you got to build relationships but what's the key to to getting off on i mean you're going through it right now with vegas sean burke um and freddie brathwaite how do you build that relationship quickly to make sure you're both on the same page and maintain growth mindset without losing your anchors and your roots yeah i i think it's uh something Again, early on in my career, I'm with changing some teams, there's 
times you get in with a new goalie coach and they have different ideas of how you can play. And I'm someone who I feel like you're, I'm very open to trying things out because I, I don't claim to know it all. I think if you have that mindset, then uh, like I said, the game's evolving. And if you can't make these minor adjustments and, you know, try things out, uh, then, you know, I feel like your game's just going to kind of stall out. So for myself, uh, going to new places, I'm always willing to try things out and you're like, let's, you know, whether it's a depth thing, you know, a positioning thing or whatever it could be, uh, give it a shot. If it doesn't work after, you know, a couple of games of really buying in, then you can talk to the goalie coaches and stuff and, uh, and kind of get back to what you feel helps you. So, you know, coming to base here is great working with Sean Burke during training camp, uh, just talking about how, you know, I like playing certain situations and why I do what I do. And same with Freddie uh, here in Henderson. It's like, okay, well, let me do my thing for a little bit and then we can readjust, see what we could tweak that could be better. And so with Freddie, we've already made some tweaks in my game this year. Uh, can you give me an example? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, trying to figure out the proper depth. Because again, uh, I said, when you change teams, you play, like teams play different situations differently. So Last year when I was with the Marlies, we were, uh, we gave up a lot, a lot of chances, a lot of, uh, in zone seams, a lot of shots would come through and we were more of a trying to box out than block the shot. So, uh, for myself, I found in zone playing deeper in the net really helped me to, uh, you know, see the play develop and, uh, be there for when we did get, give up seam chances or other things. So. I did that, but now here in Henderson, you know, the guys work extremely hard. We block shots. We are more of a fronting the puck uh, type team. So for me now, a lot of things are coming through screens instead of clear from the point. So playing deeper, I'm giving up a little too much net. And so whether it's a tip or a shot through our guy where, you know, we're trying to block it, we don't, I end up not seeing the release because of the player attempting to block it. So you're picking up the puck, you know, three feet after it gets by the screen. Uh, so for us, it's figuring out kind of a controlled depth, being able to play deeper. But when there's a shot threat, gaining my ice and being out a little bit, you know, more towards the top of the crease. So uh, we made that adjustment. And last night in the game, felt that it was playing pretty well and had fairly good depth for most of the night. So like I said, it's always, you're always changing. You can never stop learning uh i think another thing too is when i was at the toronto i found out some things at 30 years old that i'm like i wish i had known this when i was you know okay, 20, there's, a lot, but, there's a lot of 20 year olds right now going okay explain because yeah. you could save me yeah so for myself i remember i ended up having uh some knee issues uh when i was in toronto i had uh tendinosis in my quad tendon and couldn't figure out what was going on or anything like that. And then all of a sudden one of the trainers realized something I was doing in the gym where my hips, instead of, you know, being neutral or, you know, kind of, uh, tilted, I was, uh, tilting away. So I'd have like a C shape in my lower spot, back. lower back when I'd be doing a squat or anything like that. He's like, no, he's like, you need to like tilt your pelvis underneath you to activate your glutes. So I'm like, 
okay. And then I'm like, then he asked me, he's like, do you do that in your goalie stance? I'm like, yeah, it was always like, we'd get down low and my back would be like arched and I'd be trying to keep my chest up. And I couldn't figure out how like these guys like flurry and stuff could like get down in like a squat, but have their like chest completely upright. And, uh, so then the trainer brought in Steve and he's like, Hey, Steve, like what should his hips be doing? And it's like, Oh, you know, like when you're in your stance, your pelvis should be tilted underneath you. That, like, that neutral pelvis that yeah. we talk a lot about now, but was, yeah. was not as well commonly known back then. Yeah. So yeah, when I was going to goalie schools growing up and everything like that, you no one really, everyone taught your hand positioning in your stance, like, you know, kind of things like that. But other than that, goalies have pants on chest protectors, so you can't see what their actual body's doing. So all of a sudden we had to make that adjustment. And so it took a little bit of time, you know, during practices and stuff to get comfortable with doing it, but it was a huge change. And instantly my body felt better. I felt more powerful on the ice. I'm like, I'm like, I'm 30 years old. I've had the wrong stance my whole career and I had no idea. And so from there, then it ended up being, uh, you know, John Elkin, who was with the Leafs, he came up to me one day and he was running the analytics on things. And analytics are always funny for goalies because there's always a trend in, you know, what you're letting up and stuff. And some teams won't tell you what it is because they don't want to get in your head and make you think about of it. Some course. teams uh, will. And I, I'm under the impression, like, I, I want to know because, you know, it's not going to, for me, it's not going to get in my head, but it's like, if there's a trend, then there's a reason why that it is. So like, let's try and figure out the solution for this. So John came up and he's like, oh, he's like, did you know you get be a lock glove hand? I'm like, no. I'm like, I, I always thought I had, you know, a decent glove and stuff. He's like, no, he's like, usually goalies are pretty even glove blocker goals against. He's like, yours is extremely tilted towards your glove side. So then we were talking about trying to figure out the solution. And we ended up finding out that because my, uh, hips were tilted the wrong way my whole career in order to try and keep my chest up, I'd pull my shoulders back. And so then with that, it kind of locked my arms a little bit. So trying to catch things was more difficult and I'd get, like I was saying earlier, I'd get tense in the game and it made things way more difficult. So then it was like, John's like, Oh no, like you should kind of have your shoulders rounded forward a little bit. Cervical like, spine, yeah. Yeah, so then, again, that was at probably 31. So at 30 and 31, I figured out I was, I've been playing the position wrong my whole life. So uh, it's one of those things where, like I said, you, you never know what you're going to learn and when you're going to figure something out. And so now I'm, you know, 32 years old. And when I'm on the ice, you know, my stance, I feel the most comfortable I've felt in my whole career and stuff. So Well, I'm guessing like neutral pelvis, you probably would have – had now you've got better access to the muscles we need to push in certain directions. Mm -hmm. You're probably because you've always been a guy that plays well in his skates and patience, but you're probably unlocking explosiveness from that. Yeah. And you're probably able to access your hands better by sort of keeping them again, not you're not pulling off pucks, I'm guessing, as much as you would have before without mm -hmm. having ever known that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm able to, like I said, keep got my hands out, be more over top of pucks, especially in my butterfly when I'm down. Uh, you know, I'm not falling back as much in the game and then just the wear and tear of the season. Like I'm not like, you haven't before I can, the knee problem fixed itself with that too. Yeah. Yeah. The knee's feeling great. And just even my day-to-day -day life before, you know, I'd be you know, 27, 28 years old and halfway through the season, I'm like, can barely, you know, stay on my feet for an hour off skates and like just walking around and stuff, your body aches and stuff. Now 
that I've corrected this stuff, you know, my day-to-day life, you know, playing with my kids, being able to do stuff like that. I'm like actually able to live relatively pain-free in my day-to-day life. So uh, kind of helps, eh? Yeah. So that's uh, definitely been a, a nice change. Wow. That's, I mean, that, I mean, I love that you shared that. Thank you very much. Cause I, there's probably some great lessons because we hear this, right? Like we, t- we, we, we hear, you know, we have trainers that work with us at ingolmag.com talking about neutral pelvis and exercises to maintain it. And yet I don't know that everyone understands what like translates why onto the ice the way you just did. Like, it sounds like it's made a major difference for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's been huge for my, you know, career, my life on ice, off ice. It's just been better. And like I said, it's one of those things where, you know, you have your foundation of your game, but there's always things you can tweak and always things you can learn. And, you know, as soon as you think, you know, it all, you know, something comes by and blows your mind and changes the way you look at things. Well, speaking of blowing the minds uh, and new things, I happen to notice you were in, I know you've been a Bauer guy for a while. And I still think the Felix pot van mask and pads that we never got to see in the NHL might be the best setup ever. So I hope you kept the mask and I hope there's a set of pads out there that you kept too, because best, best. Anyone listening to this, if you haven't, go check it out on ingoldmag.com. We got the photos. It was awesome. Um, but now you're in the Connect Skates. Uh, I saw Yuri Pateres too. I think LB is in them as well. Talk to me. Like we've we've done articles on them. We have an understanding. But how how to you, especially as a guy who's sort of discovering some new biomechanics of movement and stance by the sounds of it. How do these how do these feel? What do you what do you like about them? They're awesome. I think uh, they're really cool for myself. I got into them uh, last year with the Marlies near the end of the season. We played okay. a game in Laval. And so Henry with Bauer came to the rink and uh, had my size, like heated them up for me and got me set in them. And I remember okay, just, before we get to how comfortable they felt, what was the first impression when you saw them? You've probably seen them, I guess, around the rink before, but yeah, I'd seen them around before and I was instantly, I liked them because I didn't have to tie up my skates before because, well, it's side, a common answer. little side story for that is uh, when I was with the Florida Panthers, it was Longo's last season. And I remember we're in Finland and we're, uh, I'm beside Lou and we're both tying up our skates and we just got off the plane to it. So like, you're feeling terrible and Lou's grunting and groaning, tying up his skates and has his like fingers taped to tape up his skate or tie up his skates and look to him like, how many times do you think you've tied up your skates in your career? And he's like, way too many. He's like, he's like, if I didn't have to tie up my skates, I'd probably play a little bit longer. And so then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it'd be great. We were in VH at the time. Like, it'd be great if, you know, VH could make a Velcro skate. And so then we, we both thought we were onto something there with like, you know, you know, throw one piece of Velcro over the bottom of the skate and one around the top. And, uh, you wouldn't have to tie up your skates anymore. Cause I'm like, if they can make a Velcro pad they should be able to make a Velcro skate. And so nothing really came of it. And then when I saw these skates come out instantly, I told her, I told her, I'm like, I need these. <laughs> I'm done tying my skates. So I, I instantly knew it. I was sold on them before I even tried them on. I'm like, even if they're the most uncomfortable things, I'm going to make it work because I don't want to tie my skates anymore. So they ended up coming. And when I actually saw them, the boot itself, I was like a little skeptical then being like, I don't know. Cause I remember switching from the cowling skates to the no cowling and wondering how it's going to feel when you take your first off the toe. And so these ones, you know, the plastic's a little different. I'm like, how's this going to feel? But 
I have heard time, you do feel it a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. It's still not like you're, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I also felt that I wasn't one of the first guy into them. So I'm like, if other guys are still in them, they've probably taken a couple off the toes and they're still wearing them. So there's enough protection there. Uh, and so then, yeah, we heat them on and they're unbelievably comfortable right away. I'm like, this is awesome. So I thought that, uh, I was going to be able to jump into them right away. And so our season ended up, we had one more game with the, uh, Marley's and it was a do or die. We needed one point to make the playoffs. So I felt like it probably wasn't the game to switch into the skates, even though in my mind, I'm like, oh, these skates are nice. So. Uh, we ended up not winning that game and I was into the black acing with the Leafs playoff run. So that's when I first got into them. And I thought I was going to just throw these skates on and it's going to be unbelievable and no transition time or anything like that. And I put them on and I was actually surprised that the first time I put them on, I got on the ice and I thought our trainers didn't sharpen my skates. So I was kind of like sliding a little bit. And then I realized I didn't fall down right away. So I'm like, they did sharpen them, but before when I would skate, I never did up the top eyelid in my BH skates so I could have the common. Yeah, a little, little bend, pitch. But yeah. you sacrifice your ankle stability. And so when I was skating in my VH skates, and I always thought I was on it like a neutral blade when I'd skate around. It was always pitched more on the inside edge because of the lack of ankle stability. So now with the uh, Connect skates, I was actually neutral on my skates. So it took a little bit of time to get comfortable actually being neutral. But again, I felt that my ankles felt more stable. They're more, when I was in my stance, my muscles felt more activated in the correct way because there's no alignment issues from, you know, my foot to my ankle to my knee working its way up. Everything was just straight in the way it should be. So for myself, it probably took about a week of skating before I actually felt like I could move at full speed and confidently with it just because it was different, but it wasn't different in a bad way. It was in a way like I knew it was going to be beneficial and it was going to help my game. Uh, it was just, you know, you have so many years of skating a certain way and then you're trying to train your body to move differently and uh, feel your edges differently. But then once I got comfortable in them, the forward bend you have, the how you can grip the ice when you're down your butterfly and you're just catching an edge to push, I felt that it was amazing in that sense. And it was really cool to have the ankle stability that, you know, I was sacrificing before and feel like I have even more forward bend than I had in without doing the top eyelid out. So I think that they've been amazing. I think just for the longevity of your health to being able to have everything in line. That was my next question. When you talk about the way it was lined, do you Mm -hmm. feel like there's a little less strain in the inside of the knee and maybe all the way up to the hips? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. Cause, uh, before my VH gets, I, uh, got orthotics to put in my skates to try and, you know, keep everything slightly more Lined aligned. Up. And now yeah. this is even more so. So again, it's just one of those things with these technolo- uh, technological kind of breakthroughs in goaltending. I find that, you know, when you have games now or practices that, you know, it's a bay or practice or, you're, you know, a 30 plus shot night, like I, my body feels so much better after the game. And that's the biggest thing I notice is, there's the performance side, which I think there's a lot of benefits to these skates performance wise, but then 
you know, being able to walk away from the game and, you know, not having your ankles being sore, your knee being sore, uh, and just being ready. So if you do have to play it back to back, if you do have to, you know, three and three, yeah, three and threes, uh, all these, uh, crazy things that you have to do throughout the season, just if you can feel, you know, 5% better after a game, it goes a long way over the course of a long season. No skates, but probably the stance. You probably, I'm guessing, when you changed it, as you got comfortable with the neutral pelvis and stuff, that probably played a role in, in feeling better physically as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's nine day difference the way I feel after games now uh, versus you know even two three years ago. I forgot that you black you black aced with the Bruins in their cup year. I forgot that till you mentioned that. So here, I mean, not Abbotsford, but a little down the road. Were you in the building that night then? Or no, no, I was, didn't uh, travel. I, unfortunately, I only had to black ace for the first round of the playoffs. Okay. After that, they told a group of us that we could go home and enjoy our summer. So they had uh, Kadobin was the their yeah. third guy there, yeah. and so they told me to go home. But they kind of were like, "Go home, but you know, keep just your phone case. close to you just in case." So um, keep your skating, keep things, your skating legs on. Yeah, it was one of those things like you know when you're twenty one year old kid uh, who's you know been that far away from home for so long is fun to go home and uh you know spend the summer with my friends and get back to doing that but in hindsight I, you definitely wish that you know they had have carried four goalies uh for that run because you know when your nhl team wins your the stanley cup in your first year you almost feel like it's going to happen again and you know it's a common thing and then you know you go 13 years later and you know i've been to a calder cup finals once but an eastern conference finals once with winnipeg so uh, when you realize how hard it is to actually do that and how special that year was for those guys up top, it would have been nice to have been a little bit closer and, you know, be in Vancouver during that time. Some of the names you've played with, like, I, I mean, I, like I said, I forgot from my brain cramp on the Boston time, but like that's Tuca, that's, that's Tim. Um, you mentioned time in Florida with Luongo, um, you know, Toronto, you would have been around guys like Freddie, like do you take stuff? Do you try and take stuff at each step as much as you have to stay true to your game? Are you looking for things to learn? Is it more between the ears as opposed to between the pipes? I mean, you're probably not going to try and play like Roberto, but like what kind of things have you taken along the way? What do you, what do you reflect back on when you think of the time you spent, you know, with a Rask or with Hellebuck in, in, in Winnipeg? Like these are, you know, like you're around and playing with and on the same teams as like guys who, you know, Vesna trophies, hockey hall of fame. Do, are you trying to pick stuff up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I said, I've always been other than the, solving the skate thing with Lou. Yeah. You got you guys were just ahead of it yeah, there. Yeah. I've always uh, you know, been interested in trying to improve my game and like I said, I never thought I'd known it all. Uh so yeah, the, especially early on in my career being with uh Timmy and Tuka and being able to do training camps with them and see them on the ice, it was like one of the most incredible things uh but also too, they were always very open to myself as a young kid when I asked them questions about certain things. Cause I know coming into the, uh, into pro hockey, my biggest transition was dealing with traffic because when I was in junior, you know, I'm six, three, there's not many junior kids in the OHL who You're are looking six, over three, yeah. you just stand up, look over everything and it's easy. And then all of a sudden you get to pro hockey. And like I said, you know, 13 years ago is just get back to the point and throw it on net and everyone just crashes the net. So now you have, well in Boston, you also had 
some guy named Chara that was part of, you know, if he was providing a screen on his own guys, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, like, you know, my first year is, is an eye-opening experience for myself where, you know, one of the areas I felt was one of my strongest in junior ended up being my weakest point in pro hockey in the place I really needed to address. So then the next year in uh, training camp, uh, we'd come in a little bit early with the goalies and we'd be doing skates. And I remember talking to Timmy and Tuca and asking them questions about this stuff. And they were, had all the time in the world for me, which is something I appreciate. And that's something I try and do now being an older guy is, you know, if any of my goalie partners or young goalies have a question, like, you know, I have all the time in the world to try and give them my experience. Like what I've found has worked for myself, uh, because these guys helped me out so much. And then, you know, you end up building these friendships with these guys along the way. And, you know, it's so cool how you can pick up, you know, whether it's a mental thing, uh, in play, how they read the game and stuff like that. There's always something you can pick up from goalies, especially in the NHL, like every goalie you can learn something from. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of pretty surreal looking back on it. Now the goalies I have played with and the goalies, the success that they've had throughout their careers, which is pretty neat. Uh, and pretty, you know, unique situation that I've been, you know, afforded in my career. Do you remember what the advice was? I mean, Timmy, for him, traffic management at, you know, like not the tallest goalie in the world, it's probably evolved for you over the years, but anything you can pass along, whether it's what came from him or how your own advice on traffic and managing it these days has gone. I mean, like you said, adjusting this year with Henderson and a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, look, Tuca was really big for that because I felt like, like Tuca's world-class skater. Like I'm, I feel like playing on my feet and my edge works and it, one of my strengths, but you know, Tuca's a whole is like league he was, ahead of. He looked like that. he was floating was, out there. Yeah, he was amazing. So, uh, but for him, I remember talking to him about it, and he's saying when the puck comes from the point, when it's just a wrister or sifter in from the point, he's like, you have way more time than you think. He's like, you don't have to be square to the puck and on angle if the puck's at the blue line. He's like, you can be, you know, six inches of even a foot to the side to look around the screen, knowing that as long as you see the release and you know where the puck's going, you have enough time to move over and to get square to the puck after that. And so for him, it was all, you have more time than you think. And so that's something that I've always taken and I feel helps my game is, you know, during a screen, I can be, you know, six inches off my angle just to look around the screen. And if I see the screen or the shark, release i can move back and have a good chance of making that save so there was that and then you know timmy was just he saw the game at a, in a totally different way and so his big thing was that everything had to come through the center of the net and so when the shot came even if if he didn't see it he just kind of like had this weird like glide where he just like fade back and drop down almost dead center of his crease in the middle of the net and more often than not the puck would just come and hit him in the chest and you know, how he had that read to know when to use that move. And then he had the reads of being aggressive, being up on the screen when he had to be, and then falling back to the center of his crease and just letting the puck hit him. His reads were out of this world on when to use each kind of technique for that. But yeah, he was a goalie where he was just, he knew when to be aggressive. He knew when to kind of stand back. And uh, that was a, something that for myself, I tried to figure it out, but I, you know, 
I didn't have the hockey IQ kind of that he did in his reads to uh, not many. Timmy played at a different yeah. level with hockey IQ for sure. Yeah. To figure that out. So, and then the way Timmy played too, like, you know, there's some things Timmy did that, you know, myself in my situation, if I did that in the American hockey league and you get scored on and you're out a little bit too far, you might not see the ice for the next two weeks. Uh, so there's always a give and take with that. So for myself, Tuco is huge with helping with traffic, uh, and, Give me a different perspective on how to deal with it. Um, last one, because I've kept you way too long, but I'm really enjoying this. Uh, speaking of coming out of your shell, I was like, I know he's really... Every time we've talked, it's always been soft-spoken, but not here. This has been awesome. I got to ask the flip side of the, of the question. Learning from guys, like you said, there's been times where you've been a backup and not playing as much. There's, I think, uh, I think it was Justin Goldman from the Goalie Guild. want to give proper credit here. He called it mirroring. Sometimes we can pick up tendencies when we're watching the other guy play night in and night out. Are there times where you can maybe subconsciously or maybe sometimes on purpose, maybe sometimes even subconsciously gravitate towards playing the way they do any point in your career where it's been a negative where it's like, man, like I'm, I'm starting to imitate this guy, but that's not my game. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's, I have to be careful of that. Yeah. You definitely have to be mindful of that because it can creep in and, especially early on in your career when you're still trying to figure out the foundation of your game and what your game is. And like I said, those three points earlier that I find help myself, it wasn't something I knew when I was, you know, 21, 22. It's something you develop over the course of years and playing and really analyzing your own game of what you did when, or how you were playing when you were playing well. And when you have a bad game, like, were you doing those things? And generally you're not if you're playing a game that you didn't feel you played that strong. And so for myself young, early on, it was definitely that, like I remember going to when I was in Providence, it wasn't that far of a drive to Boston and forever playing a goalie or uh, Boston was playing a team where I'm like, Oh, I really like that goalie. Like Pecorino was a goalie. I really loved watching. Uh, so when Nashville came to town, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this game and watch Pekka. And then the next day in practice, I'm like, you almost feel like you're peckering there and stuff, but then you realize like there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't work because you know I'm not peckering. So uh, early on in my career, I felt like kind of doing these like mirroring type things. There is merit to it to try it out in practice and figure out oh maybe you know something clicks using this stance, this positioning, you know, this movement in this situation helps, but then realizing you know if it doesn't work in practice to erase it from your kind of mind and just get back to your foundation during a game so um, are you a guy that watches a lot of hockey then you talked about going to watch guys that that you like do you do you still watch a lot of other games and are there guys you like watching yeah yeah i still try and watch you know as much as i can Uh, now now having a family it's a little bit different because uh you know my family situation my wife's back and forth throughout the season with her kids so when they're in town you know i try and be present with them so you know at nighttime i'm not throwing on a hockey game i'm spending time with my wife of course just enjoying the time together but the times that we are not together then i watch a ton of games and there's goalies that i find fascinating to watch and some that just you know especially now like the games evolve but goaltending's evolved too and some of these guys coming up now just kind of blow your mind with what they do and how they play. And Any names you can give us that you well, just love um, watching and what you take out from watching? Obviously, Vasilevsky's out of this world. Like, 
Insane. He he doesn't make sense how he plays. Uh and it really it's it's the Russian goalies that are coming over. Sorokin's unbelievable, Shasurkin. Uh and then the goalies like I've played with. I love watching them. I love watching Heli play. Uh and Heli's a cool one too because with having that friendship with him. You're you know, cheering he, a little bit. You're you're cheering him on, but you know, Heli and I we uh talk from time to time and so when he makes a change, like I kind of have an idea that he was working on something. So then to see him implement something different in his game, that's cool. uh, is kind of neat too. Uh, and then also too, like I, I'm someone who I've learned throughout my career being in a backup position. It can be a really lonely, like kind of Island if you want it to be. And if you make it that way, because you're not playing, it's very easy to not feel a part of the team. I uh, feel like you're not even really contributing, but one of the things I've learned is that if you can have happiness in other people's success and in the team's success, whether you just sat on the bench or not, it goes a long way into like, you know, your own personal enjoyment and love of the game. So for myself, I, I love watching guys I know play and being able to, after they have a good game, fire up and off a text, being like, oh, great game. It was fun to watch you. Like, you know, whether it's Helly, Soupy, you know, Freddie, like all these guys, uh, you know, I try and watch them as much as I can on top of the goalies that, you know, I haven't had a chance to play with, but are just, you know, extremely entertaining to watch. Now you talked about Timmy reading the game at a different level. As much as I think a lot of people look at Heli as a technical and big body, like my understanding is he reads the game at an elite level. He's one of those guys that I want to get on pro reads one of these days. Cause I, I, from what I understand, his mind just like hockey mind is incredible. Oh yeah. It's not in from myself too is i feel like as a goal he doesn't give it as much credit as he should for the way he's evolved his game because i i knew heli when he came from umass lowell i was in st john's and he came in uh just a he never even played a game he just practiced with us a little bit at the end of his season and we were making a playoff push and i was having a good playoff run and regular season run that year so unfortunately he never got in game but he was practicing with us and I remember watching this kid. I'm like, played so really hands out far in front and low. very low. And I'm like, I remember thinking, being like, I don't think this is going to translate. Like it might, I, and for myself, I don't know the college hockey game. I played major junior. So I'm like, I knew he had out of this world numbers in college, but, uh, you know, he came into practices and he just looked so different. And then, you know, he gets, I was up in Winnipeg the next year. He's in St. John's. He was an all-star and I'm like, obviously this kid's doing something right. And then, you know, we played together for the next couple of years. And, uh, I remember that his first year as a starter, I was a backup and, you know, we didn't, as a tandem, we didn't have a great year. You know, our team as a whole, we didn't have a great year, but, tough um, environment. Yeah. And, uh, I remember talking to flats, but cause I'd, be like, I don't understand how this works. Like why he puts his hands out like that and everything just kind of like hits him. And, you know, if I put my hands out like that, I'm getting like beat up high, like everything. And it wasn't until later on, I realized that, you know, box control kind of became a thing after that. I'm like, this guy just has an extreme knowledge of box he, control. He told me when he was younger that they actually put the small, they used to the little kid nets. Mm -hmm. And he told me they used to put the kid nets out in front. And that I, I think he might be a guy who, thanks to, I don't I can't remember what coach it was when he was younger, sort of 
ingrained that concept of smaller net in front of you in Heli. And that makes sense hearing yeah, you know, yeah, his so, success that way. Yeah. So I just felt like he was kind of ahead of the trend in that. But then that year, he, you know, his first year as a starter, there's not many goalies in the league who Big have success their first year as an NHL starter. And then the next year, I remember him coming into training camp and his hands weren't quite as far in front. And he's looked the way he played, he just looked so much bigger. And it was amazing to see how in one season he changed his whole game and he gave like, you know, every single scouting report that was on Heli that year from the year before you have to throw out the window because nothing was the same. And so he still had that unbelievable knowledge of this box control and positioning and stuff in his reads. But now all of a sudden he was just this monster in the net. And so it was really cool to see that. And every year too, he's, made these little tweaks to his game. He's a guy, you know, even I remember reading a lot of your stuff with, uh, that you've done with Carey Price over the years and like, well, Carey Price was always making tweaks to his stance and things like that. I think that's what the elite goalies do is they realize that there's a scouting report on them. So you got to give a look, make these changes to evolve, uh, your game in order to still stay elite. And Helly's a guy who's made at times drastic changes at times, minor changes, uh, in order to, you know, be one of the top goalies in the league. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, I love watching it. It must be so much cooler when you have, when you've been on the ice with a guy and you really understand the mindset and that growth mindset and the things he's changed. And so uh, I, I would love to be able to watch games with that eye. It sounds like I, now I understand why you watch so much of it. Cause that's great. Um, listen, uh, we took up way too much of your time, Michael. I really enjoyed this. Um, thanks so much. I know our audience is going to absolutely love this. Great to catch up. Great to do it for the first time this in-depth. Uh, really a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thanks for having me. I'm glad to finally be on the podcast. I almost need a second to absorb the fact that it's over and go, what do I got to go back and listen to again? Everything? Honestly, so here's the thing. Um... I think that could have gone on for another half hour. And I think uh, Hutch would have stayed for another half hour. I had a radio interview that I like that I'm contracted to that was coming up. So I was sort of starting to look at the clock and we started a little later than expected. I gave myself about an hour and 20 minute window. But by the time we, we sort of hit record on everything after a little chat before I had about an hour and I thought to myself, that's plenty of time. And we got to the end of it and I was kicking myself that I couldn't get out of the radio interview. So like I said, just leaves it open for a part two because uh, there was a bunch of things that we didn't get into. How he handled the pressure of the moment when he went in, in the playoffs for the Colorado Avalanche a couple of years ago. Um, there's some for all the goalie coaches he talked about working with. There's some other ones that 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 we didn't get into, like just like, hey, you y'all just listen to that interview. You know, there's more there. It was just fantastic. And I, like I said, um, I was always a fan of, of Michael Hutchinson, the person uh, and the goalie having, you know, covered his career a little bit and getting to know him just a little bit, but even bigger now. He's uh, he's a true goalie nerd like the rest of us. He gets it. He understands it. And he explains things so well. Just like I said, boys, top 10, top 10. Same for you, you know how excited Woody was in that interview, Darren, because about 35 minutes into the interview, he says one last question. Did I really? <laughs> and that, yeah, yeah. And then there's about 20, 20, 25 minutes after one last question. You're like, oh, Woody's on a roll. It's awesome. Oh, here, here's a sign. It's a great interview michael responds with one last answer 
and then there's three more answers. Yeah, I think Woody got one upped in this one. He is, yeah, uh, he, he was so good. Hey, hey, listen, you know what? Ingoalmag.com right now. We have a drill. A pro, it's it's both a pro tip and a pro drill from Michael Hutchinson and Freddie Brathwaite, the goalie coach down in Henderson. Um, just, uh, just I think it's it's a simple one. It's good advice. It's something I've seen up at the NHL level. You don't need a net to work on your game. Uh, there's a great spot along the boards in most rinks. If the power play is working at one end and guys are teeing up one-timers at the other, like sometimes the players need their space too, but you got something you want to do to get ready for a game day or at the end of practice just to feel good about yourself. Um, there's a great spot. He explains why he uses that spot. We've seen other goalies use it. Charlie Lindgren with the Habs. Uh, we When he was with the Habs, we saw... Um, we got, we got video of Vitek Vanacek using it with Washington. I saw, uh, uh, Sudarshan Maharaj using it with the Anaheim Ducks and Anthony Stolars just a couple of weeks ago in the NHL and Hutch using it, uh, with the Henderson Silver Knights and, and sort of walked us through some of the keys, not just to using that space on the ice, but the sort of routine he does and why he uses cradles or gut traps as a way to sort of work on his tracking and feel good about his movement and controlling pucks off his body um, heading into a game. So lots of great advice there that you can find uh, exclusive to InGoal Premium members at InGoalMag.com this week. Three videos in it. And if you're a coach who wants to know how to work with goaltenders, it's also a great one to check out, guys. Because how many times have you been in a practice and you see one end the coach is working with the whole team, doing like a three on two down low, something like that, where he wants everybody in one end. And there's one lonely goalie standing there waiting for his chance to get in. Here's something real simple as a coach, an assistant coach, you could be doing with your goaltender just to keep him involved when he's not in the net. Good point. To clarify, can you say your name? David. No, the other part. Hutch. No, the longer version of that. Hutchison. So it's Hutch is son. Yes. Hutch and then we is have on. Hutch in son. Correct. The, the end. Yeah. Just I'm for people that, that, that don't have Google, that haven't looked at what, what the difference Who doesn't have Google? Uh, or you're in the car right now. Uh, one has an N, one has uh, the S, like son. Right? Something like that. Just call us. We're all Hutch. If you go yeah, back far confused. enough, we have to have been related. Somebody's made a spelling mistake along the way but we're still cousins somewhere along the way will you wear a jersey with spelling his way or do you get offended uh it really frustrates me <laughs> yeah yeah because you're the, you know, you're I, the rare one but but i'm so old that we didn't get our names on jerseys very often growing up, up. Yeah. i mean now kids play on the right team when they're nine years old and they get two sets of jerseys with their name on the back that was kind of a rare thing. So when it finally happened and then it came in wrong, um, yeah, it was a little bit frustrating. I'm with you. I'm a Darren with one R. It, it drives me up the wall. Like Less is easier. Come on. I've made that mistake a few times sending you a note. <laughs> I, y'all, I don't say y'all, anything. y'all are both screwed up. You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys make it tough on the, uh, the old spell check uh, correcting uh, things for those of us like who, you know, I mean, I've only been a professional writer for 20 years. Getting names right is difficult for me. I rely entirely on spell check, and it corrects both of yours all the time. Just stick with Hutch and Mallard. Uh, I'll add an extra R if we can get the shot clock right and consistent. Okay, that's fine. More shots, more R's. Uh, Thanks to uh, Kev and David and as well, Cam over at the Hockey Shop and Michael. 
with our feature interview and to you. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Uh, send us your feedback on what you heard from Michael. Love to hear your takeaway from this conversation. Uh, Want to hear the ins and outs, the details that uh, that you draw upon with uh, an incredibly, incredibly broken down uh, episode. It's In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. <laughs>